We will move to verse 7, <clears throat> Hebrews 11:7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And prior to that, we see in Hebrews 11.6, if you don't have this verse highlighted, many of us probably do, definitely a verse that we need to highlight as we went over this in detail yesterday, that we need faith to please Him, to please God, and if we have faith, we will please God. And the opposite is true. If we are not pleasing to God, we're not manifesting faith, no matter what we say we believe. A creed or a confession must have a testimony that the one who makes that creed or confession, that statement of faith, statement of belief, that profession of faith, that one is loyal to God, must have the testimony that one is obedient to God, which means pleasing Him. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's part of faith. So we have a further definition. In verses 1 to 2, or verse 1, we have faith as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In some of your Bibles, in the margin, you may see substance is translated as realization it's a foundation also, and by it, we're able to believe, as is written in verse 3, that all creation didn't just evolve, didn't just come out of nothing, as absurd as it is for any scientist, or any average individual not scientifically trained, any human being, to look at... Uh, a computer or a smart device and conjecture that it probably evolved from a miniature version of itself about a hundred years ago. And perhaps a hundred years ago the smart device didn't have an input for an audio jack, headphone jack. And uh, it took a hundred years for that to evolve to meet the needs of the people who needed to have headsets and maybe 200 years ago, that smart device uh, was missing another element that we may have now. Maybe the screen wasn't as big. Maybe it was a small black and white kind of LCD display, one centimeter square. Imagine if we go to a museum and we see the evolution of the smart device, not by stating the engineering behind it and the development of different minds to design it and how its predecessor was the mobile phones that were very expensive and exclusive to people who were rather rich or had businesses. And prior to that, the uh, standard corded phone, instead of having a, a history of the development of phones, and especially smartphones, I should say, if we're to look at a, a book detailing the development of such a device or go to a museum, we would think it's laughable to see. We would think it's... Uh, some humorous fiction to see miniature smart devices all the way traced back to the 1700s, maybe 1600s, with every successive century an extra appendage, quote-unquote, an extra facility 
an improvement was made on that phone. And you ask the person who put in the museum this wonderful display of the evolution of the smartphone. Where did it all come from? We don't know. One day, there was a chip that came out of nowhere. Maybe a meteor, meteor struck the earth. There's a tiny chip. From that chip, through various environmental factors, it evolved into the smart device, the smartphone we have today. Let's explain to our, our children in our devotional time the absurdity of mankind, how foolish and darkened the heart is when a person is rebellious against the Lord and will not receive the truth. If we can attribute intelligent design to just about anything we see that we can use that has been manufactured by man, and we would laugh at the prospect or the idea that even the chair that we're sitting on or the bed that we're lying on evolved from tiny little chairs and tiny little bed frames over the centuries beginning with just a dot of a piece of wood or metal. And then by itself it developed legs and it developed a platform, back support, all by itself. Think how insane for someone to believe that things such as these that obviously have a design and dimensions and functionality from the design a purpose and a development not all by itself by, but by minds that labored and thought it out and developed blueprints and prototypes but it certainly didn't evolve by itself as we see in Romans chapter 1 we can compare that with Hebrews 11.3 to show that creation itself declares in Psalm 19 as well the handiwork of God that all these things came from the most intelligent mind that of the living God who has created things that we still cannot fathom today space and all of these things we mentioned the macro universe and the micro universe that which we can see, these celestial bodies in the most powerful telescopes still cannot see the end of the universe. The most powerful microscope still cannot see the sub, quote-unquote, sub, sub, sub atomic particles and further. It's a never-ending quest to fathom all of creation. Man is always discovering something new. And in the biological world as well, we see the faculties such as the human eye and various things that are just amazing to the most intelligent human minds of how the nervous system, the central nervous system that is, and how the orbital that we call the eye with its photographic capabilities from which man invented camera observing the human eye how all these things with the refraction and the physics involved the chemistry involved absolutely mind-boggling and to say that all of that evolved from a monkey the monkey came from some primordial soup. How foolish. No wonder people behave like monkeys or worse. When they have a foolish notion that if we just uh, improve our understanding, the observation of powers of the universe, we can make a better world. Well, we may improve in technology, but not in morality. The moral universe is the most important universe that man should be concerned with, more than the physical universe. 
heaven is ruled by righteousness righteousness is what would give a person eternal life imputed righteousness that is given by the death of Jesus Christ through his righteous blood to forgive us of our sins and then prompting us by the Holy Spirit following regeneration to follow in that righteousness to have a part in the righteous universe the kingdom of God because of a great acquisition of knowledge and some say that the knowledge developed in the first part or the total part of the 20th century even within some 25 years from post-World War II years it's been said that the total knowledge gained in some two and a half decades or so in the 20th century has exceeded all of the knowledge that man has gained in the previous centuries from the dawn of man and yet we see man is estranged from the moral universe with any righteousness involved and so the corruption not only in big businesses and governments but individuals and families as you go through the book of Judges and the Chronicle of the Kings in the book of Kings and Chronicles in the Old Testament we see murder after murder from the leaders of God's people particularly in the north in Israel Judah also had some but it prevailed in the north why? because they refused the knowledge of the Creator that's bound to happen we can have Nazi scientists in the 1930s and 40s do the most horrendous crimes known to humanity with scientific knowledge and qualifications and medical knowledge and degrees but isn't it happening today as well in the destruction of human beings in the womb why because there's no participation no citizenship in the moral universe, in the righteous universe. When a person has the humility to receive the laws by which God's moral universe is run, the righteous laws, and they become acquainted with the righteous creator and righteous judge who gives such laws, then they're able to see that they're not the center of the universe but God is and that's the whole problem when a person feels that he or she is all important the devil brings in all kinds of things that we would think are absurd because they refuse to look at creation and wonder and marvel and they refuse to seek to know the Creator. Rather, what do they do? Even the most complicated advanced civilizations such as Egypt, you have murals and you have sculptures of what? Otherwise able-bodied men and women, and particularly men for the deities, body of a man but head of a dog all kinds of creatures and so there are various religions that worship the creature more than the creator unless we should find fault with my part of my ancestry the Hindu religion and wonder how people can bow down to idols Many of my ancestors, at least on my mother's side, to my knowledge, they did that. How could they? They refused Christianity. They refused the truth that the Creator 
is not part of the creation, but he's outside of it. He can enter creation, but he's not part of the creation. He didn't create himself. Lest people should scorn such beliefs, especially in the West, or those who don't embrace Hinduism or other religions similar, where idols are worshipped, human ancestors are worshipped. They're given a perpetual and uh, qualities of deity. That if we think about it objectively, we really see it's blindness and doesn't make sense practically. It's a blind tradition and uh, seems utterly contradictory to common sense even many times. To bow down to an idol and bring garlands and rice and money and gold and as King David says in the Bible by the Holy Spirit, eyes have they but they don't see. Ears they have, they don't hear. Noses they don't smell. How would a living organism, particularly a human being, bow down to an inanimate object? But lest we look down upon such people who worship such things, we can look today that without faith, living faith in the living God, knowing that He framed the universe and He created everything, and He has a purpose in creation, there's a beginning, there's a creation, there's a corruption, man rebelling against God, there's a catastrophe, a global flood to wipe away fallen humanity with violent and immoral. Out of a remnant eight souls, God restarted the human race. And there's a confusion, a dispersion of the people who once again wanted to be like God, independent from God. And it confused them at the Tower of Babel. And then the origin of a new nation, a prototype, if you will, to show the world what happens when a man like Abram, who became Abraham, and his patriarchal sons, grandsons, Isaac and Jacob, became Israel. These twelve tribes were held in captivity, multiplying exceedingly up to some two million people in a foreign land, as prophesied, and then brought out with a marvelous exodus from bondage. And what should have taken just a very short time, a matter of days to enter into the Canaan God so marvelously promised and prepared, turned out to be 40 years because of unbelief because of ten spies and the whole congregation, the people, not believing that God said, I'm going to open a new frontier for you to enter into. I prepared it all. Don't look at the giants in your way. For every day in the land that they spoke evil of God's plan and His provision, they suffered a whole year in the wilderness. Forty days the spies went, ten of them, All of them, with the exception of the two, Joshua and Caleb, 10 out of 12, gave an evil report. When God says, I love you, the devil says through many people, no, God doesn't love me. Look at what's happening to me. Look at what's happening to the world, as if God's responsible. Never owning up to the rebellion that started it all. The judgment of God. With these tribes... Suffering 40 years because of sin, not because of some tests like Abraham was called to Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac. That was a test, it was painful. But it came to a righteous man who had the opportunity to demonstrate his faith. To continue to believe against all gods, that God is good, He loves me, and I have to demonstrate my love to Him. By what? Believing that He is, there is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And so the panoramic view of the history of the world, particularly involving Israel, continues. What is it? This nation finally entered into the promised land under Joshua. 
And then for some 300 years plus, began to be corrupt with every succeeding generation doing worse. They had judges out of God's mercy, but they refused to listen to them all the way. Finally, they said, we want a human king. We like to be ruled by another person just like us. We don't want God. God said, if that's what you want, that's what you get. And there's a united monarchy under Saul. Then under David, a man's man after God's own heart. And Solomon, and Solomon began to be proud in his later years. The wisest man who ever lived besides the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. Once again sought to bow down to who? Demons. Idols. Not heeding God's warning. And the kingdom was split. A divided kingdom now. With Israel at the north and Judah in the south. This kingdom to whom prophets were sent by the gracious God. What happened to them? Why this history? To reflect the heart of man. To warn us not to be like that anymore. But to do God's will. And embrace and receive his promises. And be blessed and become a blessing. And live our lives well. And have an eternal reward. Win-win all the way. It's by believing God, trusting Him enough to do what He says and follow His plan. And refusing the counter-offer from Satan in this corrupt world full of all kinds of amusements and enticements to take us away from God. To recognize that and refuse it for ourselves and our families. And watch it. Watch over it like a hawk. Do not let the serpent come in. It's like an eagle who immediately goes after that snake. In the history of the world and of Israel, we see, following the period of Judges, the people refused to believe. They rejected knowledge that they once knew. Purposefully, because sin was calling them, their bodies called them to do certain things to lust after certain things and to live the posh, pleasant, luxurious life. And some people say, as they would have back then in Israel, I'm not looking for great riches, just a comfortable life. Well, the comfortable life apart from God is a corrupt life. And Peter stepped in to divert the Lord Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, because you're an offense to me. You're a stumbling block. You desire the things of man and not of God. Then Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, Let me tell you the way of the Christian life, of the life that will matter. Just like Abel stood for righteousness, he suffered for it, but he's still speaking today, even though he's dead. He's more alive than ever. Whoever decides to follow me must understand it's not an easy road. Count the cost, pay the price, reap the reward, as it said. If any man will follow after me, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, let him deny himself, not seek to be comfortable, seek to please God who called him to be a soldier in his army, who called him to be a subject in his kingdom, who has called him or her to be an eternal son or daughter, royalty, holy nation, royal priesthood, a special people, chosen generation. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Moses did that. That's why he's in this hall of faith. That's why he was one of the two that visited the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Song of Moses. Eternally established by the living God. What did he do? He didn't seek a comfortable life. He could have, just like is written of the patriarchs, right here in the book of Hebrews as we continue to study this. In successive days we'll see. These people, they had an opportunity to go back. They refused. They kept on the adventure with God. Not because there was great sightseeing up ahead, 
and the food is going to be great when we wine and dine over there. No. They were not given to this earthly pleasure over the spiritual treasure. Esteeming the reproaches of Christ better, richer, eternal, with eternal reward than the pleasures of sin for a season, just a season. The price that we have to pay when we indulge in unbelief which is equal to rebellion and sinfulness and selfishness and self-satisfying life is an eternal debt that will never be paid. We'll be thrown into prison for that in hell. Eventually the lake of fire. God lays it out very clearly. These Israelites knew many things from the revelation of the Torah, the law, at Mount Sinai when they came out. It said that within 50 days they received the law. They wandered for 40 years, then another 350 years in the land of promise, rebelling and rebelling. And then they desired a human king, directly rejecting God. And Samuel the prophet said so. And following that, for some six or seven hundred years, after that united monarchy kingdom was split into the divided kingdom, they went into exile. First into Assyria, the north, as prophesied if they would not repent. They did abominable things. They killed their children in fire. They were incestuous. They were sodomites. All kinds of things happened. Because they refused to trust God and to follow His way. Any family will degenerate. And what happens? The best people can do who know something is a deviant lifestyle is try to cope. They're sad about it. What about identifying their cause and then seeking to repent over that and leading people to repent and praying that they repent? instead of trying to pretend that it's okay and trying to put a band-aid over a deadly disease. But in love, speak the truth and pray like never before that the person or the people be saved. Whether it's a deviant lifestyle, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's sodomy, whether it's incest, whether it's greed, covetousness, we see along or among the group of sins that will take people to hell and shut them out of the kingdom of God, is not only immoral lifestyle when it comes to sexuality, but immoral lifestyle with greed for money, covetousness, wanting things, jealousy. Among the kings we see jealousy, jealous for position. Murder occurred. One king killed another king in Israel. And that king was murdered by his children sometimes, or subjects. Endless, vicious cycle. What's gotten into them? They knew God, but they rejected God. And so that jealousy turned to murder. Cold-blooded murder. And what happened? As soon as they got the throne, they said, look all the property that I got. Just like Ahab, wicked Ahab was instigated by his wicked wife Jezebel to take the field of an innocent man by murdering him in cold blood. It repeats itself. That's how deadly jealousy can become, can lead to murder. And a host of other sins. This is what's known as the deviation from the right path. And it comes in very many manifold different forms. And God exposes all of that which can potentially kill us. How careful people are to wear the masks. Once they know there's a slaughter of humanity under this plague, even if I don't feel like wearing it, I'm going to wear it because look, I'm seeing people die right and left. And the people who had not experienced it last year, 
Just as in this very country, even in this very state in which I live, the very city, there's a division of people. One who are the naysayers and who laughed at the idea of wearing a mask and thought they're all people who are not smart and just scaredy cats, fearful, with no grounds to fear, wearing masks because the government told them to do it. When death hit home because of this plague, they changed their tune. How careful, because the cause was identified and the remedy was offered and people embraced it because they didn't want to die. But with spiritual death, people gamble with their souls every day. And thank God we're given the opportunity to have our eyes open to avoid that. And in the midst of all the bad news that's been highlighted thus far, of man's rebellion, God who promised way back in Genesis 3, there's a seed of the woman, capital S, as it's highlighted by the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit in Galatians. That seed is going to strike terror and crush the head of the serpent, the devil. There's a hope. Someone asked about Lamentations the other day. A book full of horrific crimes and punishment. Reciprocal to that. Rebelling against God. Jeremiah was caught in between. Witnessing and weeping and didn't know what to do. And mourning. People getting slaughtered all around. They're going to captivity and being killed also. In their homeland. But there's a note of hope. God is a God of hope. Hallelujah. In the worst situations, Christ is the light. The people who sat in darkness by the Sea of Galilee, Zebulun and Naphtali, two of the tribes, it was prophesied they're going to see a great light. When Jesus stepped in their vicinity, light had come. When God comes into our homes, into our hearts, into our families, Great light has sprung up. Why? To dispel the darkness that's been causing death. And so that hope, the light of the world was promised, prophesied, and God was engineering and directing humanity to bring him on the scene. Hallelujah. To deal a death blow to Satan's works on the cross. The Israelites went into exile and they came out of exile after 70 years. Judah did. The north never did. They never recovered. Instead, the Assyrians populated the northern portion of Israel, or called Israel at that time, with foreigners. And they produced a mixed breed, the Samaritans. They came and just corrupted everything. The pure became impure. That is the purely led Israel from the edicts, the commandments of God. There was a mixture of tradition. By the time of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, she was all confused. And the Lord Jesus had to tell her, you don't know what you're worshipping. Isn't that what happens to Christians, to believers? When the television is introduced and media and books and in the name of exposure to the latest things and the greatest things to be a person who can have an intelligent conversation at dinner I don't want my child to look like a dummy at the dinner table of some great uh, deal maker session I don't want them to not know what the latest scores are in the NBA or the National League in baseball or the football organizations. I want them to be an all-rounder. Is it really necessary to waste one's time on things that don't matter eternally? It's not to put down sports or athletics. But the value to which Christians give such things betrays their divided hearts and enter chaos into the home. 
a lack of appetite and even a scorning for the things of God. Can I skip my devotion today? Because I have such and such a program tomorrow. Like the parents so the children. Just like in the book of Judges. They can end up going into full-blown slavery to the devil again. No wonder how do we get here? Refuse the knowledge of the Creator. Well, by God's grace, they came back out of exile. And under a series of returns to the promised land, they began to rebuild the temple and the wall. And they began to populate the Holy Land again. And empires dominated Israel. The Assyrian Empire. These people who did not know God who were afraid of God and his people, became people who subdued and enslaved God's people. The Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, and then the Roman Empire. A history of slavery unnecessarily in bondage to the very forces that God had them subdue. Why? Because of unbelief. They refuse to believe that if we stick with God, He will work everything out for our best. We don't have to be slaughtered. We don't have to fear the economy. We don't have to fear the health crisis. We don't fear death. Because someone conquered death, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He said, whoever believes in Me has passed from death, has come into life, eternal life. Hallelujah. No child of God, no follower of Jesus, our Lord, no genuine disciple of the King of, King, King of Kings and Lord of Lords will ever lose or will only win. Because the one we follow is victorious everywhere. He has never lost and never will. The Almighty God. Through the tragedy of the rebellion of Israel, the hope of the Messiah came through. All that was prophesied till he appeared in human form. And as a young man, relatively speaking, in his early 30s, after living a holy life and showing the power of a godly life and doing all kinds of miracles and setting people free, compassion never seen on the face of the earth in human form before. Christ came. And power never seen before embodied in a human being. Virtue, holiness. The combination of compassion, of power and holiness makes Jesus Christ unique among all of humanity, among all other so-called gurus or gods. And he went demonstrating all three unique qualities as he gave his life on the cross and then raised himself from the dead after three days. He said, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and in three days I will raise it up. And he did. The Father raised him up. The Holy Spirit raised him up. He raised himself up. That's the plain teaching of Scripture. And through him, though the people thought, you know, the government that were under, the Roman government, very oppressive, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Follow me. And I will give you the kingdom that will never perish. Daniel saw a kingdom, a stone rolling that became a mountain, a stone that destroyed all other kingdoms, and a stone that destroyed all opposition and rebellion from the devil against God's people. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We need to know where we came from. We need to know uh, into what stock we've been brought into and how to avoid the bad part of it. Just like any culture, we need to identify these things are demonic. I don't care how much tradition and whether uncle so-and-so and and grandpa so-and-so does it. As for me and my house, we're not going to do it because it's against the truth of the living God. That person will be taken under God's wings and tutored and trained, and blessed beyond measure, because they loved righteousness and hated evil, hated sin. 
that hope of the Messiah brought the Christians even under the persecution through Nero and others to a thriving, increasing spiritual race through whom under the most painful tribulation spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and many, many people got saved. Many people took their idols and idolatry worth millions of dollars by today's standards, the Ephesians did, and burned it openly once they heard the gospel. The light had come. Whole lives changed. They began to love one another truly. Instead of having a form of religion, denying the power thereof, they began to listen to the word of God and they prospered in their hearts and in their homes and relationships got healed. And they all started seeking God. The Holy Spirit was given in Acts chapter 2, some 50 days after the resurrection. The power of God descended and it has not stopped. All over the world, people are getting born again. And they're thriving against every persecution and every lure of Satan's baits, deceptive things, promising pleasure and comfort, and even the love and quest for knowledge and position. How empty without the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, one of the most learned people of his day, encountered by some people, even non-Christians it said to be among the five intellectual giants of all humankind the Apostle Paul great legal mind he said I count everything as garbage compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ that I may know him and the power of his resurrection out of chaos from rebellion way back in the Garden of Eden Tracing through the history of Israel down to where we are, Christians, through the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are shown how cyclically, cycle after cycle, generations and families keep making the wrong choices that we should not be part of it. If we're going to have hope, we need to listen to the light. And you see the undergirding and overarching theme is faith that causes a person to rise above the corruption that's in this world against sin and unbelief. To believe God, we want to conclude with this this morning. And that is that faith speaks Abel, though he's dead, he's still speaking. In verse 4. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. A true believer and follower of Jesus doesn't settle down in this life but is looking to settle down with God in His dwelling. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithfully at promise. Do you think Sarah's conversational language changed? Absolutely. Do you think that Abraham and Sarah encouraged each other by recounting what God said, even though they felt opposite in their bodies? They had faith. They held fast. And the child was born, the promised child. Therefore, from one man and him good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. You see, they were believing for things that they didn't see yet. 
but having seen them afar off, we're assured of them. Embrace them and, and this is what I want to highlight, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. A faith that doesn't speak is phony. Faith will speak. It will remind the individual who possesses it to remind himself or herself I'm a stranger and pilgrim in this life. Not poor old Christian getting beat up and can't wait till they make it to heaven. Crawl over there being all badly bruised. No. Triumphant. Overcoming everything and having an abundant entry into heaven. That's what I expect. And whatever's in this world, all the glitter, glamour, I don't care how expensive a restaurant I've seen or a wonder of the world, quote-unquote, or all the lights and all the intoxicating perfumes and aromas of the best food and all of the things that can come, just like the devil came to the Lord in the wilderness in Judea and tells me and tells you, this is what you've just got to have right now. You say, shut up Satan in Jesus' name. What i got to have right now is the commandment of God and to do His will. That's my food finish his work for me. Hallelujah. Every one of us has a high calling in Christ Jesus. And we will speak and remind ourselves, this is who I am. This is where I came from through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the purpose of God. I'm not going to deviate from it. Faith speaks. It speaks and acts, but it's got to speak. Again, we see in verse 14, for those who say such things, declare. Notice how many times Speech is highlighted. Confession, saying, declaration, plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Do you know, you can get in a vehicle and go right back to where God took you from and say, I want to go back to slavery, throw the cuffs on me, Satan? Oh, yes. Each of us have that ability, possesses that ability, has that ability. To say one little drink won't hurt, getting high just a little bit won't hurt, smoking a little cigar or cigarette that won't hurt. Just want to listen to that song that I know is not of God, it's satanic, but it makes me feel good. I like the beat and be sucked into that, not vacuum, but a trap to destroy everything that God built up to save us. Just like these men of God and women of God had opportunity to return, they refused to. Just like Moses. The only time Moses went back to Egypt is to go and pronounce God's judgments and save people. Anyone who wants to speak to a relative or a friend, or go somewhere as a Christian must have the objective that they're going to bring the fragrance of Christ over there. Not get sucked into some godless conversation and talk about merchandise and all such things and dwell on these things, but help others to think about eternity while there's still time while keeping ourselves safe, by keeping God's word. But they didn't return, but now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Praise be to God. In Matthew, Mark and Luke, we have what the Lord Jesus taught we're not going to go further into it except to say this. That the person that has faith can say to a mountain, be removed. Trusting in God. Not in their own magical powers. But trusting in the living God. The God gave me a promise concerning this. I'm going to keep speaking it because I really believe. I just parrot it. 
but with faith, say it. God is going to bring me out of this financial mess. I'm trusting Him. I love Him. And He's going to give me all I need to glorify Him. God's going to bring me out of this marital woe. Not necessarily divorce. But a triumph in the midst of problems because I trust God and pray to Him that He's going to intervene. He has the capacity to change the hearts of rulers. I know He can change my husband's heart, my wife's heart. As I continue to trust God. Oh, what a miracle will come. To say that God is going to change the situation when everything looks opposite. I know healing is going to come. When I see death staring at me in the face. Oh my God. I will speak and declare. Truly, truly, I say unto you, Jesus said. In Luke chapter 17. Mark chapter 11. as well as in Matthew. Whoever says to this tree, one of the strongest trees, sycamine or mulberry, you be uprooted, be cast into the ocean there, cast into the sea. Doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that the things that he says will happen. And the Lord prefaces such a, an example in Mark 11. 22 to 25 by saying trust in God believe in God doesn't doubt that what he or she said will come to pass will happen that person will have that actually happen because when they pray and say at the moment they're doing it, their heart is fully, their hearts are fully into trusting God for it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By it, the people went before us. What happened to them? They obtained a good testimony. They pleased God. They obeyed God. They trusted God's every single word. They lived for God's word and they derived life from God's word. Faith. And the apostle said in Luke chapter 17, 5, increase our faith. The Lord says, even if you have it as small as a mustard seed, you exercise it. And you say to that problem, you be uprooted out of my life. It will happen. You've got to have a living relationship with God. You've got to believe God. You've got to be able to say to the mountain because you trust that God is involved. Why? Because you're pleasing God. And so in Mark 11, and so we see in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 17 as well, in verse 20, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Hallelujah. What a hope when we study the scriptures and we see why certain people triumphed and they prevailed and how we can imitate them. How they refused evil. They clung on to that which is good. Mark eleven twenty two. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if, any, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. As we look further into scripture, we know there are many impediments to faith and prayer that is effective. And we need to go through that checklist. See what God has said. He's given us everything we need to know of how to have our prayers answered. We can't just remain infants in the faith and say, well, I'm just going to pray this prayer. God help me and I know you can do it and thank you God. And forget that he demands obedience and a pleasing testimony. And that there are ingredients there that I need to speak it. 
I need to believe it. I need to trust God. I need to make sure that my motives are pure. I need to forgive people who I'm bitter against. That will hinder my prayers. Not forgiving people will actually shut me out of the kingdom of God. Even worse. And so, our Heavenly Father will forgive us when we forgive others. And the channel is clear. What a beautiful life. What a blessed day for the child of God who believes God and trusts Him and begins to speak God's language, obeys and follows God humbly and gets blessed more and more and more and sees breakthroughs and miracles and just is amazed at our amazing God, falls in love with God more and more. Oh, there's no one sweeter than Jesus, no one more beautiful than the Lord Jesus. I know I don't ever want to betray Him and become a traitor. I will never serve the devil again. I'll never say, Lord, let me loose. Let go of my hand, please. I want to go to the big city and see what I can see. No more. It's all fake. It's all foolishness. All will lead to a fiery inferno in hell. I want to stay with Jesus, my good shepherd. He will lay me down in green pastures, beautiful meadows. He will give me rest to my soul. He will feed me. He'll provide for me. The Lord is my shepherd I should not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He satisfies my deepest thirst. And I have great peace. Priceless. Jesus has it all for us. He restores my soul. God of restoration. As a sheep, I must follow closely behind the shepherd. Not listen to any other voice. He leads me in what path? The path of right living. Right thinking, right motives, right speech, right actions. Paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, that's who he is. He's full of glory and righteousness. And I follow him and he changes me to become like him. And even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have no cause to fear because God is with me. I will not fear evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And furthermore, because I keep following this God, the living God, He prepares a table before me, right in front of my enemies. Satan is furious. He can't do a thing about it. And He anoints my head with oil, blessing upon blessing. My cup overflows certainly for sure goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and after that I will live in the house of the Lord of my God forever shall we pray blessed rock our salvation Lord who gave us the spiritual drink Jesus Christ to make us revived and alive and to thrive thank you Lord for giving us your manna help us Lord to follow every word you've spoken and to flourish and flourish and flourish and be a blessing to you O Lord Lord stop thinking so much about ourselves and think about you the one who gave all for us because you said the mind who stayed upon you has perfect peace. The heart that trusts in you keeps thinking about you and your word of promise and following you, doing your will, will have great prosperity, great satisfaction, and will become a blessing to our generation. I thank you, Lord, for teaching us more in faith today. That we can be bright lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and nation. We don't have to repeat the mistakes of our forefathers. Even these people who came from the patriarchs who had trouble after trouble because of rebellion, unbelief and going after vain pleasures, empty pleasures, deceitful pleasures. But Lord, whoever cried out to you and said, Lord, forgive us and take us back, please take us back. You came running 
as a father to embrace the prodigal, to clean us up, Lord, put a ring on our finger, shoes for our feet, restore us and rejoice over us with singing. You made merry over us, Lord, with a party because you loved us so much. Help us never to leave your house, but to flourish in your house forever. In Jesus' name I thank you. Amen. Amen.